Hi there, welcome back to the business side of fitness. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. Each week on the show, we'll highlight fitness industry experts to learn about their personal journey and unique perspective. Through these conversations, we'll learn all about what it really takes to succeed in fitness. This show is brought to you by Vanessa Severiano LLC, specializing in fitness and wellness business development for impactful brands. The time has come to start the show. Everyone's got a story, and now it's time to hear from this week's guest. Let's welcome to the show Michelle Berlin. In 2006, after a car accident, created multiple spinal injuries, and her doctor told her that the only option was major surgery, Michelle began looking for alternative treatments. She decided to take the lead in her own healing. She began studying and practicing yoga, which led her to India, where she studied Iyengar, I hope I pronounced that right, yoga at the Iyengar Himalayan Center. Her thirst for knowledge led her to travel around the world to 46 countries, absorbing the ancient wisdom of the indigenous cultures. Her desire to learn led her to the most recent trip in Nepal, where she had the opportunity to study with Tibetan monks and understand the way they integrate sound healing into their daily practice, which complements her yoga teachings. She lives and practices and shares this passion in Miami. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. So, wow, that's a really impressive bio. I don't know many people that have been to 46 countries. I know. I love traveling. I mean, that's where I I always, my parents weren't too happy about it. When I left, when I graduated college, they wanted me to go to grad school. I was like, eh, I don't think I'm going to go. I think I'm just going to travel for this decade. And honestly, I don't remember anything I learned in college. I remember like so much from traveling, you know, absorbing. That makes a lot of sense. So did you originally, you just took that time off after college or did you go right to work? Well, I, after I graduated, I went back to the Jersey Shore. Hey. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, I had, you know, um, I had a psych major, psychology and minor in anthropology, which is like, what do you do with that? Unless you go to graduate school. And I, I applied to graduate school. I got in. And then I was like, I'm just going to go back to the Jersey Shore and bartend and then take all the money I make and go off to Europe for a few months. And then I come back bartend, waitress, take all the money, go travel. And I was doing that for quite a while until I landed in Miami and and still kept traveling. So how did you end up in Miami? You know, I was traveling in South America and I remember thinking, oh, I love like the Latin vibe, the Latin culture. I need to be somewhere with spice. You know, I got to get out of Jersey. Um, And my sister had lived in Boca, which I wasn't too crazy about Boca, but I moved here I think in like 2005 and then I you know kind of found my way down to Miami and what did you end up doing for work when you got to Miami I was bartending and waitressing at the standard hotel which I was also then I started teaching yoga there as well so I was like doing both trying to make it trying to make this yoga career thing happen did <laughs> you do easy. real estate in there at some point too oh yeah that was like for like a few months not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't see you doing real estate. <laughs> I'd rather be barefoot. So. so how many years have you been teaching yoga now? Since, oh my God, 
2005. So what, what year are we in? Like, wow. Yeah. 15 years, something like that. That's amazing. And what led you to seek out these other modalities? The sound healing is really interesting. I think a lot of people that listen to the show are fitness professionals and they know about yoga, but the sound healing is still something that's, I think, kind of like untouched. So share a little bit about that with us. So about sound healing. Yeah. Yeah. So of course it, you know, it was introduced to me by yoga. Um, And, you know, in the yoga practice, there is a kind of branch of yoga that's called Nada Yoga. And Nada Yoga is reaching a higher state of consciousness through sound, but really meditating on the internal sound. That's why we chant Om, and there's this like epic sound of the universe. So, but the Tibetan and Himalayan monks, they believe that, by playing a bowl that has harmonics, which is like overtones in a Tibetan bowl, the metal bowls, that all the secrets of the universe are in this one bowl. So whereas they use it for their meditation, and you know, we can too, they don't usually generally use it in like a sound experience for um, a group of people, but you know, it's become very popular now. But so it all ties in with meditation getting the mind to calm, just focusing on something, using it as like a focus where if you were to just sit and close your eyes and focus on your breath, that would be what we call a drishti, a a focus point. But the sound becomes the focus point to help you get the monkey mind to still and be quiet. I definitely have a monkey mind. What's the difference between, yeah. (laughs) What's the difference between a metal bowl and like a crystal bowl? Cause I've seen that before and I don't know the difference. So the crystal bowl, um, although it carries really well, the crystal bowl has what we call one sin tone. So a sin tone, like you play it and just makes this like noise. That's like very loud and it kind of can really envelope a space nice. The Tibetan, well, authentic hand-hammered Tibetan or Himalayan bowls, you hit it and it has maybe five overtones or harmonics. So it won't just be one sin tone. It'll be like, it's hard to explain. I mean, I I have one here. I can play it, but I don't know if it'll carry on on this um, platform. But it'll make like five different sound waves. So like, so it'll make five different sounds at once, if that makes sense. So, okay, I get it. Now explain to us, please, because you had shared this with me a little bit before, but I'm sure our audience would love to hear about this. Explain the physical benefits of sound healing. So when working with sound in general, that's why I, you know, I teach a lot of sound workshops it is important to use um, overtone instruments such as Himalayan and Tibetan bowls because those overtones that I was talking about creates what we call like a brain entrainment and they get you into lower brainwave frequencies. So if like you're really hyper and your brain is really active and you know, you're all over the place, the Tibetan bowls, those sounds have the ability to slow the brain waves out. So you're, your brain starts to entrain with those waves and it calms the mind. And then therefore, when the mind is calm, you start to go into parasympathetic nervous system, slow down the heart rate, slow down the breath. You can relax. You know, also it's great for people that have sleep issues 
any um, anxiety. It also is said to boost the immune system. And there's a lot of new studies coming out that are showing a lot of these benefits. So it's interesting to see the science and the kind of more mystical components of this practice merge now. So I definitely have seen more sound healing just like around in the fitness and wellness space. So I think it's getting to be more commonplace. However, there's still like this mystery around it. And I had heard at some point, maybe you had shared this with me, that it also helps with like breaking up disease cells in your body. Is that right? Yes. So yes. Well, so that there is studies being done with what this sound, certain frequencies, not necessarily like the bowls itself, but certain frequencies, which it's all frequency. They, there was a study done, I think in Florida at one of these universities where they take the sound frequencies. I don't know what hurts, but I'd have to like relook it up and they put it on the body. And what it does under a microscope is it, disintegrates rogue cells and is far and in terms of what it does to bacteria when bacteria wants to create havoc in the body it starts to like come all those cells come together and they want to like hang out in an entourage but the sound kind of breaks up that entourage and it makes the cells disperse and confuse and create space so there's a little bit of um you know, a lot of people are saying, and you know, Google, I always say don't Google anything because Google is not reliable, but people are saying, oh, sound healing can, can you know, help with cancers, cancer cells. We can't say that yet, you know, because obviously there's, <laughs> that's a big statement, but it does affect rogue cells, meaning also cancer cells, but still we all have like so many cells and cancer cells in our body. So it doesn't really link to that um, solution yet, but it definitely, on more of like a holistic approach, it, it helps so much with, you know, the psychosomatic and mental aspects and physical, emotional aspects of just getting everything to calm down, getting your body to relax. Like I said, tap into parasympathetic. So you create a space for healing to take place. Because if you're like in fight or flight all the time, your body can't heal. Right. I would definitely consider you like a healer by nature, like your energy just being around you calms me down. <laughs> I'm definitely one of those people that has the monkey mind like you explained earlier. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. So I know you were teaching, like walk us through all of that. So you were teaching yoga at studios, at gyms, and then you ultimately ended up opening up your own yoga studio. So tell us about that. (laughs) So I, yeah, I started teaching at when, wow, back in the day when there was like two studios in all of Miami. Now there's so many. Um, at, on 54th and Collins, actually, and I had um, entered into a partnership running a small studio in the basement of um, 54th and Collins in the basement of the Russian Turkish bathhouse. It was like this random small studio, but it was great. And I partnered with a dear friend, Ruslan Clayman, who's an amazing teacher. And he actually kind of got me more intrigued down this path. And I had the studio and it was small, like, I mean, really small scale. We just, it's like, we used to have, we used to not use my body. We used to like keep people's accounts, like on like a Rolodex, like on paper. 
So this is like before any of my body was on. It was a really sweet um, community. And then we kind of outgrew the space. We looked to open another space with two rooms, which we did down in close to Wynwood before Wynwood was really Wynwood. Um, and we opened Trio Yoga and we brought on a third partner, Ari, and we opened this ginormous space with, with two rooms and a little treatment room in the back. And we had a really great run. I mean, I learned so much from having a yoga studio, a storefront. I mean, it was a tough business. And then, at, you know, at the end of the day, you're selling yoga and you have to pay this like enormous rent and you're selling, you're selling wellness. And, you know, we built, we built a pretty amazing community, but when our lease was up and it was time to renew, you know, the landlord wanted like double rent, something crazy. So that just wasn't going to work. So I was like, we were, we were toying with the idea of opening another space. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep my privates, keep doing train. I'll do the same exact thing without a studio. I, I mean, I don't think that a teacher or a fitness professional success is measured by having their own space. I really don't. I think it's, it's, it's a lot and, and kudos to the people that are still doing it. Cause I know it's really, it's a really tough business. Well, it's interesting that you shared that because I think a lot of fitness professionals that are instructors or personal trainers kind of strive for that. They're like, one day I want to have my own studio. But I think that being a great trainer or an instructor and being a great business owner are two totally different skill sets. So what did you struggle with when you opened the studio? Like how different was it? Well... You know, you know, like you said, you have, if you have a passion for something, I mean, I think this probably goes with any fitness professional or yogi, you love it so much and you want to really have your own thing and you have a vision. But yeah, once you get a storefront business where you're dealing with the landlord, you're dealing with the city, getting permits, you're dealing with, you know, also be, trying to be a marketer, client accounts, um, you know, payroll, taxes, everything, all of the things that you need to do to keep a business up and running, it takes away from, you know, your teachings. And when I first opened the business, I was like, this is insane. I was working every day. I, I kind of neglected my practice. I was teaching, but I was running the business more. I mean, along with my, my partner, Ari, at the time. I mean, we were both working our asses off. And we, we again... I think the thing that we struggled most with, and I think this still kind of rings true, maybe if you don't have a studio, there's, from the customer, there's like an expectation in this healing yoga world that it should be cheaper or maybe even free because it's yoga and it's healing and how could you charge this? I'm like, you know what? Like I have a business to run. And you know, we have those those clients sometimes that would get groupons when that was like a thing. Groupons like five times in a row when you're also to get one. And they're like, oh, but you should really acknowledge that. And 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 I'm like, people just want you to give it away for free. And it took me a hard, long road to realize that we don't live in that kind of society. We live in a capitalistic society. And I've studied and worked my ass off on my training and my knowledge. And, and now it's like, I think that helped me in a way create 
boundaries with what I want in my personal practice. But yeah, that was a big challenge for me because then you're like, oh, well, it is yoga. Like, do I want to turn anybody away? Like, this person needs healing. So I felt really guilty sometimes. And so we probably didn't have the numbers right. You know, like we probably could have profited more, but the numbers weren't weren't working. I think you're sharing something that rings true for a lot of people because a lot of us get in the service business because we really just want to help, right? Mm -hmm. But especially when you open up a brick and mortar location, you have hard costs. So there's an overhead associated with that. And at the heart of it, you're kind of struggling between wanting to help people and then the reality of having rent and debts and, and, you know, just those bills that come in every month. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I never, I, I mean, I support a lot of the, the studios here. Now it's, you know, happening now as a lot of them are closing. It's just, and I hear um, students in the classroom, like, oh, I'm on ClassPass now. And I know ClassPass is great for the consumer. I'm like, support your local studios. Like they're, you know, it's, it's, a, it's really tough. Um, but I think always buy packages at the studio and, or, you know, wherever the gyms I know class fest has kind of ruined the industry to be honest I think but going back to what we were talking about before um yeah you you feel like you want to give and then but there are those people that do make you feel like you should give more you know but they're not they're not paying your rent they're not buying your food they're not paying your bills so you should charge accordingly to you know your costs of living (laughs) yogi guilt that's not cool it totally is it totally is yeah not to say i still don't do charity like stuff for charitable causes i do but you know the same lady that tries to like knock you down in a price is pulling away in like a porsche and a louis vuitton purse i'm like really (laughs) like come on you know like did you negotiate your port like your porsche and your bag like do you go into i don't know a restaurant say you know I don't think I should pay full price for this fish. I think I should just pay half. No, this, that doesn't happen in any other industry, but I think this one, maybe a few others, but I don't know. So I feel about it. Yeah. It's amazing. People want to haggle. And at the end of the day, you have to put on your business hat and say, Hey, I know my worth and you can kind of, you know, I'm here to serve you. It'd be my pleasure to serve you. But if this is not the right fit for you, I understand. Um, So talk to us a little bit about your journeys and your travels and what you've picked up along the way, because I mean, 46 countries is pretty impressive. So has this all been yoga related? No. Um, when, right after college, I was, I was traveling around Europe. That was more party related, but <laughs> no, but a lot of the trips like to the East, like Thailand, when I studied in Australia, that was really interesting. Um, also, but Thailand, Bali, Nepal, Cambodia, that was all surrounded around the yoga practice in India of course um I stayed there for a few months I went there twice because I was just I fell in love with the country but I mean most people see yoga here in the west as a fitness trend which you know it has become but yoga in India is a completely different practice and and it's such a devotional practice and there's much more meditation and chanting and breathing 
But I think a lot of maybe, I remember at David Barton Gym when I taught there, they were like, don't do the chanting. <laughs> because they just didn't, they wanted to keep it very, you know, kind of vanilla, which I, which I understand too. But it, it's just different. It's not fitness related, it's energy related. So you do the postures to create a different energetic quality in your body, not to get your yoga butt or your biceps or you're more flexible. I mean, it's just, it's completely different. So they're not wearing heart rate monitors and aura rings while they're doing their yoga? <laughs> no, but I, I think it needs to be a blend when you teach here because, you know, you got to make it accessible because the person that comes to yoga studio for the first time off the street, you know, they'll get like totally weirded out if you do all these like weird meditations and chanting and kriyas and, you know, so um, I think the little flow and the posturing is good because we're like a chair sitting culture. So we need to move. I mean, remember that the yoga postures, you know, when they were created, they were created for the wandering sadhus, which was like the spiritual men that would wander through the Himalayas or like sit in caves for years and they would be walking a lot. So what they needed was just the seated postures. But here in the States, we're sitting a lot. So we need the standing postures because the Sanskrit word for posture is asana and asana means seat. So the original yoga postures were all seated and then they evolved to, you know, standing and more flows and like that to like accommodate the Western, you know, mind and world, I guess. So talk to me a little bit more about how you've decided to conduct your business since closing the studio. I think you made some interesting pivots with retreats and whatnot. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was doing retreats with the studio, um, created teacher training programs, creating workshops, education seminars, that kind of stuff. And when I closed the studio, studio, I said, there's no reason I can't stop doing this. Like I can still create programs and workshops. I would just bring them to another space or like a third party space. And then I have a little bit more control over how and when and what, you know, what I want to do. So yeah, right now I've been focusing on, you know, my private clients, which are a little bit of more yoga therapy. They're like an older clientele and they love the sound of course. And focusing on education courses for teachers and for, um, you know, seasoned yogis or yoga fanatics that want to go a little bit deeper in the practice. But I mean, that's a real passion of mine. I feel like a lot of these teacher trainings in the States, they're a little bit, like I said, vanilla, they don't get to like the heart of the practice. So we get all of these boot camp yoga teachers. So I think, that we need to re-educate some of the, the community to get them, draw them into like the, the passion of it and the, you know, the real essence of the practice. So that's where I am right now. I'm still trying to do it on Zoom and even during this crazy COVID, it's working. Like everyone, right? Everyone's just kind of having to pivot during this kind of unusual time. But I think that the continuing education and the teacher training is something really interesting from a business standpoint. Mm -hmm. What I've seen is like, is this accredited? Do they get like a specific like 
credential for doing all these different certifications? Because I've seen so many people that have different certifications that they're conducting and it's hard to know like which ones are quality and which ones may not be. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's Yoga Alliance, which I have mixed feelings about, but if you want to do any teacher training and have a certificate that you could show a gym or studio to teach at, you'd have to go through Yoga Alliance, which meaning when I have my studio or now that I teach a teacher training um, at State of Yoga in South Beach, you have to register with Yoga Alliance and you have to give them the manual, like your intentions of how you're going to teach and write out the program. So you have to hand them their manual and then they approve. If they don't approve the manual, they'll make you edit some things um, for the 200 hour program. They want to make sure that you're covering certain topics and then you teach the, the, the program wherever you know you are, but yeah, yoga Alliance. And then as far as other workshops there, you know, there's good and bad in everything. I think social media has like completely changed the game. And I'm, I'm going to admit it. I'm a total yoga snob. I mean, I'm a yoga nerd. Like I love, reading the text and understanding why and, and the, the real roots of it. And I think social media, if you're just like really good at marketing, you could like pass as this like, you know, high guru. <laughs> it's like crazy. And then really the people, they don't know anything. And I'm like, oh, it's crazy. But yeah, you have to definitely sift through the nonsense. Even when you go to, when I traveled to India, there was some just like, Indian man off the street, he puts some orange robes on. He's like, I'm yoga teacher. And he doesn't know anything. It happens. It happens to some. I had friends that that happened to. They, they kind of scammed the tourists there. So I think the same thing here. You have to really, before you take a course, like go, you know, spend time with that teacher or you've got to make sure they know that, you know, know their shit. But you can do workshops without any kind of CEU. Like, and I, I have done that too, just because... Um, then you, you have to pay extra fees to Yoga Alliance and it's not something that they like cover. Like they don't cover the sound healing, um, certification, but I got my certification in Nepal. Although like in Yoga Alliance world, that's not recognized here, but I went to the source. So it's kind of also a little bit political with Yoga Alliance, but I guess it's needed for some, um, like oversight. Right. It's a business too, right? So what should the consumer be on the lookout for? Because you brought up a really good point. And this is like one of the things that really drives me a little cuckoo is anybody that is really good at editing photos or taking photos, you know, or that has a hot body can put on some booty shorts, take a picture and then sell an online workout program without having the education to back it up. And for the consumer, I feel for them as well, because how are they supposed to know, you know, some of the best, most talented people that I know are really struggling right now in their businesses because they're so good at what they do, but they are not great marketers. So how would you tell a consumer to like kind of quantify like who's legit and who's not? Well, you can look, well, as far as yoga lines, I don't know what the other fitness companies use. You can always double check to make sure they have gone through a certification on yogalines.com. That's just for yoga teachers. Um, And then just, I think, reach out to the teacher, ask, whatever kind of program they're selling, like, where did you study? How long have you been practicing this? And what, you know, do you know about this? Like, I think a lot of people, 
you know, maybe they see like an amazing online fitness, um, I don't know, fitness platform that they want to get into. And there's like a teacher promoting it and, but they have a low back injury. Like that's, I feel like it's very tricky. So I would definitely reach out to the person that's promoting and say, Hey, I have this injury. Like what are what's your experience? And like, are they just going to be, you know, teaching like a high intensity, just do whatever you want kind of thing. Or is it going to be more alignment focus? And I think just really dig deep because at the end of the day, it's your body that you're going to be trusting this person, whether it's virtual or, you know, not. Um, I think you need to ask the right questions like in everything. And I mean, before people commit to my teacher training, they ask a ton of questions, which is good. And they should, because they want to know that they're studying with someone who's taking it serious. You know, right. I think just research, research, research. I'm the queen of that. <laughs> <laughs> so Michelle, where do you see yourself going next with your career? Like what's the next move for you? Where do you see yourself in five years? You know, it's so funny when you first said, oh, where do you see yourself going next? I was like, I want to go back to Nepal. <laughs> Shave my head and become a monk. Um, I think five years... I think I'll have a more, um, a bigger sound and yoga course and hopefully reach more people, continue with the retreats, grow. I think everything I'm doing now, but just on a bigger scale. And, you know, still, I, I mean, I still love to work locally. Like some people, I know that they want to do bigger, th- you know, bigger things. So it's like high volume and they don't have to work one-on-one. I still love and adore all my private clients. I feel like they're my... You know, I don't know. I cherish them and I want to make sure they're healthy. So I think in five years, yeah, this, I don't want to say the same thing, but more trainings on a bigger scale, reach more people, educate people, that kind of thing. The world needs that for sure. So for some of our listeners, they might not necessarily have a yoga practice or a meditation practice right now. So what are three simple steps that you can give them as takeaways just to get started? Cause it could be intimidating for some, like for example, even myself, like I've been in the fitness industry for 18 years and I'm feel very comfortable on the gym floor, but I feel very intimidated to go into a yoga class because I'm like everybody's going to be doing handstands and I can't do that <laughs> well that's the thing that's what the, the western yoga studio has sold this like gymnastics type yoga which is I know it's kind of it, it is it can be intimidating that's why um I I would start you know my, like what I studied Iyengar yoga although I there's not a lot of studios that offer it there is um that's very low-key and there's not a lot of ego in it. You won't, I think it's just really like if you're stepping in, if you want to start yoga, know that all yoga, yoga is not created equal. Like all of the styles, like there's power yoga, there's Iyengar yoga, there's Vinyasa yoga, there's Anusara yoga. Make sure you choose something like a beginner's type class or Anusara that will kind of slow down and work on the alignment or an Iyengar class is great. I mean, I'm biased because I, I studied Iyengar. And there are some some great studios and teachers that teach that style, but don't jump into a vinyasa class or a power yoga class because I've even been a victim of going when I first started yoga, going to class, I'm like, oh, they're doing this, I want to do that, and then your ego gets involved. I think research the style, and like I said, alignment based, anusara, beginners, or 
Iyengar yoga, I think is a really intelligent place to start because you'll learn how to align your body. So then you can go into those more maybe powerful classes knowing what you're doing. And it is such a great compliment. It makes you stronger in other modalities too. So it's a great way to cross train. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this amazing, valuable information with our audience. I'd love it if you would go ahead and pimp yourself out, let people know where they can find you, how they can connect with you. All right. Um, On Instagram, I'm Yogi Shelley. Um, my website's yogishelly.com and I do actually myself have some um, yoga practices complimentary on YouTube if you just look up Michelle Berlin with also some professionally recorded sound meditations Uh, so I have some some free videos there that are really cool simple practices and yeah I mean on my website I have all my classes and you know I'm gonna go for this retreat in November we'll see what happens with this COVID thing but it's in Asheville, so it's drivable for the Miami and New York people. If you want to come, it's going to be a yoga and sound healing retreat in November. So I love that. And when you connect with Michelle on Instagram, please make sure that you look out for Chewbacca oh on her page. <laughs> that might not make sense right now, but you're going to have to go to her page at Yogi Shelley to find out what I'm talking about. And I promise you, you will not be disappointed. <laughs> Thanks so much, Michelle. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. I have a huge favor to ask of you. If you found value in this episode, I'd love it if you would please subscribe, review, and share this episode. It would really mean so much to me. I truly love connecting with fitness and wellness experts. So if you'd like to be on the show or are looking for help in your business, definitely drop me a line and connect with me. You can find me at hello at vanessaseveriano.com or my social media handle. Since my last name is not the easiest to spell, I'm going to go ahead and make it really easy for you and link my contact details in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Catch you on the next episode.